Welcome to the Retirement Made Easy podcast. I'm your host, Greg Gonzalez. My goal for the podcast is to help you live a better life in retirement by giving you the tools and information you need in a language that you can understand. On this week's episode, I am fired up. Let me tell you, I had a conversation actually today with somebody that has retired within the last year, actually a little over a year ago, and the advice he's been receiving from his financial advisor or former financial advisor has to be the worst advice I have heard in a long, long time. So we're going to talk about that specifically on today's episode. Then we're going to get into some listener questions. I've had quite a few submitted to the website, retirementmadeeasypodcast.com. A lot of people are going there, listening to our previous episodes, and also checking out our resource tab where you can download my three steps to a retirement planning process absolutely free. Step number one, blueprint to a dream retirement. Step number two is our budgeting tool to a dream retirement. How much is this dream retirement going to cost us every month? And then the all important step number three is your retirement action plan. I am shocked at the amount of people that don't have a retirement action plan in place. I mean, I shouldn't be, but I still am. Whenever somebody is interviewing me to become their retirement planner, I always ask them, hey, would you be comfortable sharing with me your retirement action plan, your retirement plan that you have set up currently? And they kind of look confused. And nine times out of 10, they ask me what a retirement action plan is. And quite simply, what it is, is it's a written game plan that you can follow for a successful retirement. It handles everything from an income strategy, a tax strategy, how to optimize your social security benefits, all of that. It's kind of like, imagine you were going grocery shopping. Well, before you go grocery shopping, you create a list so you can have a successful grocery shopping experience and that you're buying the things on the list that you need not just buying things at random and kind of winging it. Because when it comes to something as important as your retirement, you really don't want to wing it. So check out our website. Again, those three free resources, as well as my retirement secret sauce, that's available as well. A lot of people download that. That's available on the website, retirementmadeeasypodcast.com. If you have questions, submit them there at the bottom. It'll say, ask Greg a question. And then we are still doing the 30-minute retirement coaching call for all the listeners that are interested in that. Those have been kind of a, a change of pace and kind of fun for me to kind of talk to the listeners about their retirement plan, what they have set up, and, and really kind of coach them in a 30-minute phone call. So either phone or Zoom. So at the bottom where it says, ask Greg a question, you can submit, you know, hey, Greg, how do I sign up for that 30-minute coaching call? Submit it right there. All right, let's jump into today's discussion with the worst retirement planning advice that I've heard in a long, long time. So I was talking to someone that was interviewing me, what I call a prospective client. They were interviewing me this week and they had mentioned, I was asking about their current relationship with their current advisor to try to get a sense of the advice they had been receiving. And we were kind of talking about in a roundabout way the bucket approach to retirement planning. And if you're not familiar with this approach, I'll kind of sum it up, but I have a couple different episodes that are devoted to this topic, explaining the ins and outs of the three bucket approach, why it works, 
why it's so simple but yet effective for so many people. So check out those previous episodes. Those episodes are actually some of the most listened to or downloaded episodes on my entire podcast. So I'll refer you to those. But quite simply, three buckets. The first bucket is your emergency fund. We want to hold somewhere in the neighborhood of three months to two years of monthly living expenses. And this money needs to be liquid, accessible at a bank or credit union, preferably actually a credit union. We'll talk about banks more in one of the listener questions this week. And the reason behind the emergency fund is you're always going to have these big expenses that pop up, whether you need to replace your water heater or your furnace goes out or you need a new set of tires on your truck or maybe need a new transmission out of the blue. That's the purpose of the emergency fund. I have a client that calls it the God only knows fund. Then we have the next bucket. We have bucket number two. The job of bucket number two is to produce an income that supplements your social security income. So the investments, the job that we give bucket number two is to produce a monthly income that we can rely on. Now, we're not going to get into the specifics of how you do that. It might be dividends, it might be interest, but the investments that you put in bucket number two produce this income. That's their main responsibility. Dave Ramsey says, imagine you have the goose, the goose lays the golden eggs, and the golden eggs are what you live on in retirement. You don't want to kill the goose, which is your original principle, but you try to just live off of the golden eggs to supplement your social security. I love Dave Ramsey. I'm a Dave Ramsey Smartvestor Pro for a reason, is because he keeps things simple and understandable to the average person out there. And then lastly, we have bucket number three, which is our growth bucket, because we know the cost of living, healthcare expenses are gonna keep going up and up and up. If you're retired for 30 years, over your lifetime, prices are likely gonna triple during that time. So bucket number three allows us to keep up with our standard, our rising standard of living that we're going to need in the future. So as I was having this discussion with this individual this week, his financial advisor said, okay, if the stock market, our strategy is if the stock market starts to go down and, and thus your portfolio is going down temporarily, what we'll do is, is we want you to go out and get a home equity loan and we'll draw the income that we need to live on for the next year, maybe two years, and we'll spend the equity in your home and we won't dip into the income from bucket number two and we'll allow it to recover during that period. And this is terrible advice. We never recommend, or I never recommend, going out and getting a home equity loan and using that money to live on when the whole point of having bucket number two to provide you a monthly income to supplement your social security. I just don't understand that. It's kind of like there's either some life insurance agents or financial advisors that recommend using cash value life insurance to borrow the cash value. Whenever you take a, a withdrawal from a cash value life insurance, you're actually taking a loan from your policy and you're paying the insurance company an interest rate to borrow the money from your own policy. So these are a lot of times, this is whole life or universal life or something like that with a cash value to the life insurance. So yes, the advantage of that, if, if you're taking money out of the whole life insurance policy, yes, it is tax-free, but you're not taking a withdrawal. You're taking a loan out from the cash value and you're paying the insurance company an interest rate. The same would apply 
if you took a home equity loan out, and of course the argument is, oh, well, the home equity loan interest rate's gonna be low, but it doesn't matter. It's just a terrible strategy. And a little side note is if I recommended someone take out a home equity loan and invest the money, I could lose all of my licenses all of my designations and be barred from this industry for recommending that kind of advice. So today's lesson, if you're looking for retirement income and the market goes down, stick to your buckets, buckets one, two, and three. You don't go and take a home equity loan on your home and then use that money and spend it. When you have a retirement nest egg that's earmarked and invested properly, to last you for the next 30 years. And during that 30 years, the market is gonna go through cycles. On the way to reaching your goals, your investment portfolio will go up and down in value. But every time it does drop in value, you don't run out and, and get a home equity loan to live on for that month. It just doesn't make sense, and it's the worst advice that I've heard in years. Many of you know that I am a Dave Ramsey SmartVestor Pro, and if he heard that advice, he would have a fit. I'm telling you, if you take out home equity loans to live on in retirement, you're just gonna get yourself into trouble. And that is not any strategy that any fiduciary advisor would recommend. So in summary, to provide a retirement income, we don't wanna use cash value life insurance like whole life. That was never the intended purpose of whole life insurance, never. And we don't wanna use home equity loans to provide us retirement income. And if you can avoid those two traps, you'll be much, much better off. I hope all the listeners of this podcast can learn and thrive and have a great plan for retirement and be so confident because they're armed with the knowledge they need for a successful retirement. And that's what I think gives you that confidence. It's that knowledge, it's that wisdom, it's that confidence that I can do this. I remember a story back in the 80s Pete Rose was uh, the famous baseball player, was chasing Ty Cobb's hit record. And he was 72 hits away. And a journalist was asking him, how many at-bats do you think it's going to take to break the record? You're 72 hits away. How many at-bats? And Pete Rose said, 72. And the journalist laughed at him, just laughed at him. And he said, you're serious. You really think it's 72. And Pete Rose said, you know, hey, when I go up to the plate, I think I'm going to get a hit every single time. So I don't know. It may end up being 500 at-bats that it's going to take to get me those 72 hits. But every single time I have that bat in my hands, I expect to get a hit. And I know Pete Rose is one of those controversial baseball players, love him or hate him, but you got to respect his confidence. And that's what I hope the listeners, I truly hope the listeners of this podcast can gain that confidence when they're looking ahead and planning for their retirement. All right, I'm ready to jump to some listener questions this week. A lot of you have been going to the website, retirementmadeeasypodcast.com. At the bottom, you can submit your questions. It's really easy. It says, ask Greg a question. And I like to use a lot of them on the podcast to kind of cover because I think a lot of other people can learn and have an idea what other people are thinking. So please submit your questions, submit your hate mail, love mail right there to the website. I truly love hearing from listeners. All right, the first question this week comes from Beth, and Beth was asking about, she said her brother is 65, is not yet retired, but was able to roll his 401k out of 
his company 401k into a rollover IRA. And that way he could have more investment choices within the rollover IRA that are not available in the 401k. She contacted her 401k company. She's 63 years old. And they are telling her she does not have that ability to roll the 401k over until she separates from service, retires, something like that. She was really confused why that is the case, why she's 63 and cannot roll over her 401k into an IRA and still remain employed, yet her brother, who's 65, can. This is a fantastic question, Beth. Thank you for submitting this. So what she's talking about is called an in-service distribution. What that means is, is if you work for an employer with a 401k, some allow you to roll over your 401k into a rollover IRA, there's no taxes, while you're still working for that employer. Now, most of them, you can only do so after you turn age 59 and a half. Her brother is 65, she's 63, so they both would qualify under this rule, this in-service distribution rule. However, depending on your employer and how the plan document, the 401k plan document is written, some of these 401ks allow you to do so and others do not. I've said many times on this podcast that all 401ks are different. If you work for ExxonMobil and you're a participant in the ExxonMobil 401k plan, it's going to be totally different than the Chevron or ConocoPhillips 401k plan. Even though they're in the same sector, right, energy, they are different corporations. They're different employers. And therefore, their 401k has a different plan summary document. So you'll want to check it. Apparently, Beth's 401k does not allow in-service distributions. Again, meaning she can roll over her 401k into an IRA and still remain employed with that employer and still contribute to the 401k plan. Again, some companies allow this and some don't. So you'll want to check with your 401k provider, whoever that may be, and they'll look at the summary plan document to see if that's a possibility for you. In my experience, Beth, the larger the company, the more inclined they are to offer this. So if you work for a Fortune 500 company, the better the odds that they allow such a thing. And the smaller companies with smaller 401k plans typically do not offer this. But again, I'm kind of generalizing here. So you'll want to check with your 401k to make sure. But it sounds like they just don't offer that capability. 401ks are not the same. Some 401ks offer 401k loans. Others do not. Some 401ks have better investment options than others. Some 401ks have more expensive investment choices. They're more costly. And for anybody listening, Beth's brother, she mentioned her brother is 65. He was able to take a in-service distribution, roll over his 401k, and still remain working to a rollover IRA. Now, she mentioned in her email, the reason he did this was to have access to more investment options than were available in his 401k. That's primarily the reason why people would do such a thing. Maybe his 401k only has a list of 20 different investment options. They may be very low cost, so you'll want to compare the two. Is there really a benefit of investing in a self-directed rollover IRA 
over your 401k? And is that in Beth's brother's best interest? If it's in his best interest, then yes, I would agree with doing so. But we want to make sure that in-service distribution is in his best interest. Thanks for your question, Beth. That was a fantastic question. The next question, it's a little confrontational, if you will, from a listener named Bob. And Bob seems a little upset from listening to a previous episode where I was talking about Wells Fargo and possibly Bank of America. I don't remember. And this is a long email from Bob, but basically he's saying that there are some good people that work at Wells Fargo and Bank of America, and I shouldn't be so harsh on the banks. I replied back to Bob. I appreciate his comment, but I'll kind of recap. What I was saying was sometimes we do things emotionally that may not be the best financial choice. Some people may be able to self-insure for long-term care insurance, but they go ahead and buy the long-term care policy just because they like that peace of mind. Now, the example that I gave personally was my mortgage company got bought out. My loan was bought out by Wells Fargo, and I immediately went and refinanced because of how much I dislike Wells Fargo. And I didn't want Wells Fargo to make a penny off of me if I could avoid it. Now, it cost me money. Of course, I had closing costs and refinance costs. So financially speaking, this was not a very good decision on my part. But emotionally, it made me feel fantastic because I don't have to call myself a customer of Wells Fargo. Now, why Wells Fargo? Why do I not like Bank of America or Wells Fargo? Well, Google, you kind of do your own research. Wells Fargo and Bank of America both have unfair trade practices, not only to veterans, they were charging excess fees that were not disclosed to a bunch of veterans and VA loans, and they settled for hundreds of millions of dollars. They were ripping off veterans in this country on VA loans, admitted it, and settled. And then for years, Bank of America and Wells Fargo were ripping minorities off by charging them higher interest rates than they would charge a Caucasian with the same financial situation. And with a last name of Gonzalez and having many veterans in my family, I don't want to be a customer of Wells Fargo or Bank of America. I think they're despicable banks. But Bob, I appreciate your email. I'm not calling your kids ugly or anything like that. I think there are some terrific people that work for both banks. I'm not calling those people bad. I'm calling the bank's business practices unfair and unethical. So that's the chip on my shoulder about Bank of America and Wells Fargo. I'm never going to be a customer of theirs. Now, Bob, I mean, I can take it one step further and say, okay, if my financial advisor is at Bank of America Merrill Lynch or is at Wells Fargo, well, guess what? Those banks impose sales quotas on those advisors, meaning if they don't hit their sales quotas every month, they lose their job. But Bob, I appreciate your comment. Because I am not saying that financial advisors at Merrill Lynch, Bank of America, or Wells Fargo are bad financial advisors. I'm just pointing out that they have unethical business practices like these sales quotas that are not in their client's best interest. So if your retirement planner works for Bank of America or Merrill Lynch, and they're suggesting or recommending an investment whatever it happens to be, you might think to yourself, is this really in my best interest or is this going to help this person meet their sales quota for the month? Or at least that's what I would be thinking. 
But Bob, again, thank you for your question. Thanks for listening. It sounds like I ruffled some feathers and that was not my intention. I don't think the people that work for Bank of America or Merrill Lynch are bad people because I know that they're probably the ones that are not making the rules that they have to follow. So I hope that clears things up, Bob. Thank you for your question. I hope this episode of the Retirement Made Easy podcast has been helpful. If you have questions, submit them to my website, retirementmadeeasypodcast.com. And if you're interested in the 30-minute retirement coaching call with me, right there, ask Greg a question. Say, hey, where can I sign up for that 30-minute retirement coaching call? I'll see everybody next week. And remember, always dream big. The opinions voiced in this material are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, please consult your attorney, tax advisor, or financial advisor prior to investing. This is a hypothetical example and is not representative of any specific investment. Your results may vary. All performance referenced is historical and is no guarantee of future results. All indices mentioned are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. The SmartVestor program is a directory of investment professionals. Neither Dave Ramsey nor SmartVestor are affiliates of St. Louis Retirement Advisors or LPL Financial. There is no guarantee that a diversified portfolio will enhance overall returns or outperform a non-diversified portfolio. Diversification does not protect against market risk. All investing involves risk, including loss of principal. No strategy assures success or protects against loss. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, Memra FINRA, SIPC.